severely messed Artists like their boots are torn to shreds The government will spoil your hopes and dreams By offering a useless retreat and scheme There's such amazing talent, why can't you see That the government has decimated the industry And now the years of hard work have been thrown away Just get a real job Hello and welcome to Just Get A Real Job, the podcast where we speak to emerging creatives and creators alike from across the creative industries. And I am your editor, Elliot Mitchell, see what I did there. Unfortunately, my voice has changed. I am not Jamie McKinley. Uh, He is a bit under the weather this week, so he wasn't able to do the intros or outros this week. So we do wish Jamie well and hopefully he can recover so he will be able to do the intros and outros for next week. But yeah, exciting stuff. You have me to do the intros and outros this week. I'm so honoured, so thanks very much. Yes, yeah, so this is episode 83, and Jamie had a really interesting conversation with writer and performer Katie Anstein. Now, she has an up-and-coming friend show called Sticky Door. More details of that will be in the show notes, and obviously you'll get to hear more about it in this week's episode. She also talks about how she first got into writing, her advice for other creatives, and also talks about playing the ukulele, which is quite exciting. So do stick around to listen to more. Now, before we enter into this week's episode, a couple of housekeeping rules as per usual. So if this is the first time of you listening to the podcast, welcome. We have plenty of episodes in the back catalogue. So if you want to check out more, do so. We have interviews with so many different creatives that you can pick and choose which ones you would like to listen to. So do check the back catalogue for more episodes. Also, if you would like to share the podcast, you can do it through social media. So you can do it through Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or whatever other social media platforms there are. I think there are about 100, so you can pick and choose how to share the podcast. Word of mouth is the best way for us to grow. So if you can tell your friends and family to listen, that will help us keep growing. And if you're able to do so, which I know it's very difficult right now due to the cost of living crisis, but if you're able to do so you can help us by donating and you can do that through our Patreon page and you can find that in the show notes just below. I know it's very difficult because money is tight at the moment, but if you would like to, if you really enjoyed listening to our podcast and everything that we got to say, then yeah, you can donate and you can help us through donations because we're an independent podcast. We don't really earn any money from advertisers or anything like that. So donations do help us to keep doing the podcast and if you can't donate then you can share and that helps us grow our listener base so thank you so much for your support once again but yes enough waffle from me you will hear me at the end but this is now episode 83 of just get a real job with the fantastic writer and performer katie arnstein Hello, Kay. How you doing? Thank you for joining us on Just Get a Real Job on this Wednesday evening in the middle of, or the start of July. Could be any time, really. Who knows? But before I sort of came on to this, the news is all, it's been a mental day. Who knows what's going to have happened oh by the God, end of this interview. I was just, as before you joined, I'm just like refreshing the page yeah. to see if he's been sacked or, or if so, he's walking. Or... Who knows? By the end of this interview, the Boris Johnson might be gone. He oh might not God. be gone. What a way yeah. to finish a Wednesday. Well, I'm actually, so um, Pincher is my local MP. As you can imagine. Unlucky. I'm incredibly proud of the way my my people have voted so i am i am on tenterhooks and anything that brings the tories down 
Yeah, well, who knows? Maybe, maybe during this episode, there'll be that we will get a ping or something, and we'll, we'll find out. So, oh my gosh, when this goes when this goes out in a week or two's time, you know, who knows what the future will have what have played oh out? Gosh. So it's exciting, it's like a time capsule. <laughs> but anyway, of course, I've not brought you on the podcast tonight to talk politics. We're here to talk about your career today and like your upcoming friend shows are very exciting. And um, but firstly, do you want to just sort of introduce yourself for the listeners? Tell us a little bit about what you do, and then we'll sort of delve into to all the fun parts. Uh, sure. Hello, my name's Katie. Einstein. I'm a writer and performer and actor from uh, the West Midlands originally, now based between there and London. And I'm bringing a show to Edinburgh this year called Sticky Door, which is a third show, third full show that I've ever written. And it deals with the big themes. I wanted to tackle the big themes such as cystitis, <laughs> stigma and sex and sort of mental health, my journey to becoming the the storyteller I am. And it's got a free suite for all audience members and songs on the ukulele. <laughs> I can't go. Than that. You absolutely sold it. Well, I mean, we'll talk about the show in more detail later in the episode, but I mean, I think you'd sold it very well to start with. So thanks so much. Plenty to go on. I look forward to seeing it myself as well. But for, sort of to kick the podcast off, as well as sort of making you talk about Boris Johnson, we like to start by sort of asking people's earliest creative memories. So do you remember, like, as a youngster, were you writing stuff? Were you acting? Were you? Did you think this would be the sort of life you ended up living today? So I never knew that you could do it as a, I never knew that you could do it as a job. And at the age of 31, I can say that it's still not, it's still not as, as much as I wish it was. It's still not the, the money job. But I never really knew that you could like train and go to drama school. I didn't know how people on the telly got behind there. But I did do a lot of performing when I was little. So I'm the eldest of three sisters and so there's a lot of like I will tell the story here I will like speak for my sisters and I think my earliest creative memory was twofold one was I remember writing a poem about socks in year one which was pretty (laughs) pretty well received by the class and I used to do performances for my parents wearing my favorite long like floor length green dress and a Mickey Mouse hat and the performance would be Jamie, and that feeling I think is admiration that you've got. <laughs> I used to just sing what I could see. So I used to do untold amounts of performing where I just sang things that I could see. Pretty, pretty grim. And I'd like to say that I'd like to think that I progressed a little bit further, but actually only time will tell. Do you remember how the socks poem went at all? Do you remember like a line from it? I can't. I mean, it should it should be fresher in my memory. But I remember my do you remember that thing where like the teacher got you to show it? Show and tell or whatever. Or you had to stand. Yeah, precisely. So the so Miss Griffiths was like, Katie, I think you should read yours out. And I stood up in my memory in slow motion being like, everyone prepare for this. This is going to be pretty good. (laughs) oh man I mean we'd all got stuff like that I remember a couple of years ago my my granddad sadly passed away but like when I was going for his stuff I found a poem of mine which he'd kept on the wall bless him and I was 10 we'd read it in the podcast before like a long time ago in the early days of the podcast and it was like it's just so funny seeing like something you wrote at the age of 10 just be like oh my god this is I've come a long way is, but it's also lovely so it's nice you remember that and you know you're still you know somewhat as you said at the start singing some songs playing some stuff now so there doing you go it. it's come full circle yeah and you sort of touched on at the start as well being from the sort of west midlands another question i love to ask people and i mean especially as, as a scot like a nationality is quite an important part of my identity but like how was where you're from sort of influenced you as a creative person and like how has that sort of bled into your work now like being from somewhere like the west midlands yeah so i always sort of introduce myself as a west midlands artist and i'm so proud to be 
from there and I, there's a dialect so my so my nan and granddad on my mum's side were from the black country so there's their whole other language which I think is so special and so beautiful. I think there's something about community that you get when you're from mm. a small area. So I'm from this tiny village called Shenston. I never moved house until I went off to drama school. So I'd been in this like really small, very safe, very like held community. And then I moved to London once I graduated and was like, what fresh hell is this? Why? Like, And I've sort of gotten used to it now between spending time here and there but it means the world to me that that's where I'm from I still when I hear a West Midlands accent ask people where they're from and what they're doing and have various degrees of success of conversation but it's it's a huge part of who I am it's totally made me yeah that's lovely to hear and lovely to hear how proud of it you are but like for someone like myself who obviously I do know English geography to an extent but like the West Midlands without just assuming it's Birmingham because I'm sure it's not just that at all that's you know I'm, I don't even know if it is I could be wrong yeah, like yeah, what no, you're right. is that that is the right type you know that's, that's the right, the right area so I'm yeah. from um, I'm from about half an hour north of Birmingham this small village called Shenston near a city called Lichfield which is famous mm. for having a three-spired cathedral and it's where Charles Darwin's dad's from so so that's the big that's the that's claim the to fame I've just been given I didn't want to mention like you know that was my way of checking before I went I've sort of been to Birmingham a few times you know that was my way of making sure I didn't say that and you're like well it's actually not West Midlands oh no it? that was lovely <laughs> that was very gently done <laughs> there we go but on the sort of note of being from the West Midlands and stuff another another sort of question we love to ask on this podcast is about your favorite words and phrases and I mean this is my favorite question to ask people it's just a, I'm just very nosy I love like local words do you have like a local word or phrase from that growing up there that you really like well so again going back on my mum's side so my granddad Ron used to say because he's he's from the black country so it's like a a proper its own dialect and he used to say yammer Boston when shammer which meant you're a good girl like nice to see you how are you um, so I didn't know wench wasn't an appropriate term for a woman until I was about 14. So that was a st- steep learning curve for a feminist. But he always used to call you a Boston wench or a good wench. And I suppose the other one is that nobody, that I still say, but nobody recognises, unless you're from the West Midlands, is a gambol. I don't know, if you, have you ever heard of that, Jamie? Mm. So it, it's just a, a forward roll, like a flip. Like if you're right. excited or, but it's, it's a gamble. And I remember talking once I'd moved down here to a few people and saying gamble and they look at you as if you'd, I don't know, changed your head or something <laughs> very quickly. But those are the big two. What about you? Can you tell me a Scottish one? So this is, this is actually happens so often when I, when I ask people the, like, their favourite word, they always ask mine. I feel, so I feel like listeners will be like sick of me saying it, but I kind of oh, like, to, I'm going to like to change it up because I was recently on holiday with four English people, all friends of mine, and they're sort of like having this sort of conversation about it. But one I say a lot is I love the term droof, if you have like a dry mouth, like a droof. Um, is that like a combination of the two? I think it, it must be, yeah. I think we just love to roll our R's. Oh, nice. And like there's a there's an Edinburgh phrase where I mean I've lived in Edinburgh for eight years and it's it's like if you were to not show up to somebody. So if you like were meeting somebody and they didn't show up, like you patch them. I love I love saying that like like don't or if somebody wasn't gonna come out for a pint or something, you'd be like, Don't be a patch, man. Like what the well, you know what oh, the hell? Oh, that is lovely. Uh, I've though, never heard yeah. that before. But I got there, it. there's a new one. There's a new one I'll share. I mean, you'll need some I mean you've you done the Edinburgh Fringe before, haven't you though? I have, I have. So you, I mean, you'll be a backup soon. So you I mean I mean it's been three years already, but like you know, these are you can learn it for then, you can use it then. You can impress oh my the gosh, locals. People will uh, think I'm local. That's so I mean I say I say local I mean there's hardly any locals in Edinburgh during the French to be <laughs> no. fair. But <laughs> I met um, I remember when I came in 2019 and I went to the mosque kitchen for one of my dinners and I sat next to a guy 
he said he was he was from Edinburgh and was one of the few who stayed during the festival and he said no never forget it he was like we're so lucky in Edinburgh because we have five seasons we have spring summer the fringe autumn and winter <laughs> and I just thought that was absolutely yeah. gorgeous He's not right. I mean, it, but to be fair, it's been such a weird couple of years because there was a fringe was on last year. It wasn't really the same. It was just a very weird, like stripped back version. So I personally am very much looking forward to being here again. It's you know, it's just been such. A, it was so weird in 2020 walking around Edinburgh. There was no queues. It was like dead. It was bizarre. I can't so imagine it. it is just, such a different city, isn't it? When when you mm, when it's not the fringe, I guess. Yeah. So you know, be very exciting. Good stuff. But to sort of move back on just a little bit of your career, what sort of when you were in high school and things, and you were like sort of looking to the future. Like, were you thinking then, like, I might try and give this writing stuff a job, a go as a job, like, are they arts or anything? Did you go and study that at university or did that come a bit later in life? So I did, I did study it. I went to Birmingham School of Acting, so it was called then, but only because I had a brilliant careers advisor called Bob Keane, who, he, he was really involved with all of the students. We were like a pretty big, we had like 1,400 kids at my secondary school, so like reasonable size, but he sort of knew everyone by name like a superpower and I remember he in my one-to-one he said what do you want to do and I said oh I think I'll be a teacher like my parents were and that seemed like a good choice and I think it's a phenomenal one but he said Mm -hmm. that he'd seen me in some of the shows and did I know that you could study it and I had no idea that you that you could and he showed me the list of drama schools that you could go to outside of London because I knew I couldn't because of the cost of the London drama schools I went when it was um, when it was three thousand pounds a year but if you went to drama school it could go up to like nine or 20 even so I went I auditioned outside of London and got into Birmingham and it went from there really and then the writing came beyond graduating because I wasn't getting the roles that I wanted as an actor I sort of graduated with all this knowledge all of this energy and then was getting auditioned for playing things like a ghost who had no lines or like (laughs) a child and I'm five foot seven and I just thought there's got to be a better way for me to sort of represent myself and represent other people so I went into the writing performing side of it yeah no that's, that's really interesting and it's it's lovely that you're saying that the careers advisor at your school and stuff actually took that initiative to try and support you because like we have so many guests on that all say like oh, I didn't really know it was an option I mean you know I didn't consider it like I mean even myself like working TV now like it was never like really made an easy path it was always like I've had to figure all about it myself like yeah. do you know what I mean it's because it's just people where I'm from just don't really go and do that it's not a normal career path and I think that's the case for I mean that's one of the reasons I started this podcast as well is to give people a, a sort of look at what these sort of roles are and like how people you know get in because everyone's path's different obviously but it's really nice to hear that, that you had something that was like no I think you should actually go and do this. Oh god I'm so lucky and I also think I went to so I'm 31 so when I was going to school it was where are we like early 2000s up until I left school in 2009 and like performing arts and we we still had time in the curriculum for those things and you could mm. still take you know apprenticeships and and there was a it was far more celebrated as an opportunity than it is now and I know we're not like we started this talking about politics but I just think I can feel the way that things are moving and people who are working class people are from lower socio-economic backgrounds aren't given the access to these careers or these opportunities and I think we're going to lose some of the best voices of our generation because we we aren't given the chance to yeah they're not given the chance to speak so I'm so grateful to Bob Keane who maybe won't even <laughs> remember me probably not because he has 1400 kids every year to remember the name of but I'm so grateful to him and feel extremely lucky to be able to 
be doing what I'm doing. Yeah, no, that's really lovely to hear. Sort of moving on from that, and you talked about when you sort of turned to writing as a way of almost sort of making things happen because you weren't getting the rules you were sort of wanting. Do you remember your first piece of writing? Do you remember like the first time you sort of sat down and, and what, what what was it you did? Yes, Apart from the poem I, um, about socks, obviously. At the, at the, oh, obviously um, smashed it. <laughs> smashed it in year one. And then how do you how do you improve on perfection? So I didn't write I didn't write properly since graduating until about 2016. And it came out of this. I was doing this job, this acting job. It was TIE, so Theatre and Education, where you often go around um, schools or youth centres. And generally it has to have an educational message. So it's usually about, I don't know, bullying or knife crime or mental health or it's sort of an issue show. And I was working with this director who wrote the show. And one of the things in the script was that I was playing a few parts, but one was an anorexic. And he got the male character to say, oh, he wasn't going to listen to her, but then she was quite fit. And I said to the director and the writer, oh, I just think this is a bit inappropriate to tell kids that anorexics are fit and sort of encourage that sort of uh, mental health issue. And he really pushed back. And I thought, oh, if this guy's got the confidence to write and direct his own show, I'm going to do something. So I wrote 15 minutes of a show that at the time was called A Girl's Guide to Feminism, which had a song on the ukulele, some voice clips. It was 2016, so Trump was just on the billing for the Republicans. It was a really, it was sort of just before Me Too. It was just before Time's Up, but it felt really fiery. And that was the first thing that I wrote I wrote about my first job my first part-time job and some difficulties that I faced with my manager and that made me realize I wanted to do it I wanted to tell stories and that me telling a story meant that people at the end came up to me and told me theirs and that's the most magical thing I've got from it I feel so blessed to be able to do that and I hope that's what happens this year but it really came from anger and feeling frustrated I guess yeah, but sometimes that's the best way to start something. I mean, a hundred percent. No, that's, that's really interesting how that sort of all came about, and like that's that's cool that like it just sort of came from this almost kicking kicking back and yeah, you know, you know, I've, and you'd also, I mean, you've done a trilogy of plays as well, right? This the one you're bringing sticky doors, like it's a trilogy, isn't it? It's the third yeah, part. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, you're right. So that fifteen minute piece that I was just speaking about, a girl's guide to feminism, actually evolved into uh, the first part of the trilogy, which uh, ended up being called Bicycles and Fish. So each of the shows each of the three shows can be seen on their own and should be seen on their own but there are also a few easter eggs um, a few characters that come in and out so if people are interested in coming to see sticky door please come along and if you've seen sexy lamp or bicycles and fish or both amazing but there's nothing that anyone will um, miss out of by just starting with sticky door yeah is it sort of like edgar Wright's Cornetto trilogy in the sense that it's almost like they're spiritually connected but they're exactly. not yeah all there is is like if you know I'll mention I'll mention somebody that I went to primary school who's a big part in the first show and if you've seen it you'll be like oh I remember Neil and if not you'll be like oh Neil seemed nice and that's all there that's <laughs> all, all there is but it's exactly that there are some similar characters but it's just of itself storytelling show that I really hope um, brings a little bit of laughter to people. No, sorry, sorry. We'll, we'll go properly. We'll go into sticky though in a few minutes. Like we'll get you know we can properly deep dive into. It, but like I just kind of want to talk about these other two shows and like how you got from where basically there to like where you are now in Edinburgh like so did you how did you go about like putting on your first play and stuff like that how did that all come about I got so lucky because I'm, I'm sure you know from from your tv work right some it's it, there's so many sort of shut doors and yeah um, no's and and all of those things but I wrote this the 15 minutes that was a girl's guide to feminism and I performed it at this scratch night which is like an open mic night 
where you can do sort of anything. Theatre in northeast London called Redbridge Drama Centre and they liked it and gave me rehearsal space for free to develop it into an hour. And then I worked with a friend of mine called Daniel Goldman, who's a brilliant uh, director and dramaturg, and he allowed me, well, he worked with me really to develop it into this hour show, which then we entered to Vault Festival in Waterloo. And in 2018, when the show was on, it won Show of the Week, which then gave it a bit of momentum to sporadically tour the UK. And I cannot stress <laughs> sporadically enough because enough because it, it sounds way more shiny than it than it was. But I managed to do a few shows across the UK. I wrote Sexy Lamp for next year at Vault Festival, which then won Pleasant Speaker Vault and Show of the Week again. And that meant that I won a spot in Edinburgh in 2019. And I performed with Pleasance at the Baby Grand. And then Pleasance so kindly invited me back to do the third show to do Sticky Door. So it's it's basically, I'm incredibly lucky because it's people saying oh do you want to do you want to come back or do you want to do this and I said oh yes please because as you know putting yourself out there and trying and don't get me wrong I'm getting no's all the time and there's a beautiful artist called Tabby Lamb who um, has a rejection jar uh, that they put money in every time they get a no yeah I've had I've heard, 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 heard this, but a few people have been doing this, yeah. yeah uh, right. There's a similar one on the podcast a while ago. We had an amazing guest called James Capel, and he runs Scribeland, which is a massive screenwriting community. And he was talking about one of these, the uh, girls that comes along to that. I can't remember her name because she wasn't a guest. It's like a secondhand anecdote, you know, so you have to bear with me. But yeah. it's a similar thing where she tries to collect 100 rejections a year because if she gets 100 rejections, there'll obviously be like, if you're aiming for that many, there'll be some yeses along the way, the way as well, most likely. So it's a similar thing. And I love that sort of That's spinning a negative into a positive. It's a, it's a great way of looking at it, especially in this industry where it's a lot of no's a lot of closed doors so absolutely so I really I feel so grateful to Vault and it is through these festivals these sort of you know the financially viable ones like Vault that allow you to sort of share your stories and and give it a go and then from that and where I am now which I'm so grateful to Vault and Pleasance for and I can't wait to come back to Pleasance this year yeah it was really really exciting and also before I sort of dive in as well as that like I guess how did the ukulele sort of come into it as well is music like something you're very passionate about you like listen to a lot of music you play a lot of music as well I'm a huge me if I was better at music I would love to be a musician Um, (laughs) I always have music on I've got my dad's I've got my dad's taste in music so I'm a massive like Springsteen fan I'm a massive Stones fan I love Bob Dylan I love proper beautiful songwriters Nina Simone Tom Waits Tony Mitchell but the ukulele came in basically because I'm not good enough at piano so I wanted to write songs I wanted to write songs but wasn't good enough at piano and the ukulele is pretty accessible and my dad bought it for me when I graduated drama school to practice and, and learn and from that I've been able to to write songs that have formed a lot of my shows and also I think that the trick with the ukulele because a lot of my work is you know very opinionated it it deals with some big themes and I think you can say quite a lot on the ukulele and no one can really be mad at you <laughs> that's so true maybe they should maybe they should try that with Boris maybe that'll go oh my gosh I'll see you absolutely I'll see you at Westminster yeah well, that's really interesting I, I you know what I find this a lot on this as well like interviewing a lot of creative people all the time that often like there's this part of the industry they actually really secretly wanted to do more like for example as you say like be a musician but then they if they can do something that sort of almost does that then it's also like um, you know it's the best they'll, they'll take it type thing exactly um, that it's exactly that but, I mean for me a lot of the time it's like I love interviewing musicians on this podcast because I'm like I'm the same I, when I was younger I wanted to be the front man of an indie band like I mean that's, that's my that was, that was my secret like you know ambition so now when I get to interview like cool bands and like musicians on this podcast or anyone people like yourself performers I'm sort of like that's the closest as I'll get to you know to living that dream and I, I'm fine with that to be honest it's but you know it's all good did you ever try were you in a band 
Oh, yeah, I did some teenage band stuff, but like nothing like nothing big. Like, do you know what I mean? Nothing like that I would proudly present and go, that's really good music. Like, as we say, it's not the stone drive, it's not proper songwriting, but it was a bit of fun. So it's all good. That's amazing. But before I sort of go on to, I've said this like three times like, before I go on to your show, but I'm just going to say it again. The listeners can just deal with it. But just, I wanted to actually quickly ask, because obviously between your last show in 2019 at the Pleasance and then now in 2022, taking it back, like obviously there was that big elephant in the room, you know, the pandemic lockdown. How did that sort of, de- I'm assuming like a lot of artists that potentially took the momentum out of your writing a wee bit. And like, how did you sort of cope with that? Because this is such a common conversation on this podcast. And I think a lot of people listening that want to do what we're, what you're doing and be in the arts have probably been through the same. And it is quite disheartening for some people. Yeah. So for, for me in 2020, I, f- I think one of the things I'm most grateful for is that Sticky Door, the show that I'm taking this year to Edinburgh, has was written and had uh, done a week's run at Vault Festival and we did it in February 2020. So the show already existed and I already loved it and I'd already performed it so I knew it worked as a show. And then lockdown happened and had I been halfway through that project, I don't think I I don't think I would have finished it. I lost all my confidence. I was living in southeast London at the time and I couldn't get any I couldn't get any job at all. It was just when when everything, do you remember when when you couldn't obviously hospitality which was always where I used to work had totally collapsed and I was applying for, you know, stock in supermarkets and driving jobs and I just couldn't get anything and mm. that really affected me in a way that I wasn't really expecting because I was really I'm really lucky and really privileged I was never going to live under I was never going to be kicked out of my home. I knew that I could go to my parents' house, which I which I did in January, actually. But I still lost all of my momentum and all of my hope. I stopped reading. I stopped. I sort of stopped listening to music, actually, which is when I always know I'm going to be depressed. Is when I stop mm. listening to, or when I am depressed. And I'm so the fact that the show existed, and also Sexy Lamp, my second show, and Bicycles and Fish existed. It meant that I still had work that I remembered, and so I sort of had to look at it and be like, oh, you have done. You have done that you've you know you've made you've made something i i wish i could have been one of those people i wish i could say that i've mastered sourdough or i've like done <laughs> made my masterpiece but I, I the it was just taking it half a day at a time and trying to remind myself that i had done some work the book that i read to get back into reading was patty smith's just kids which i highly recommend very good book yeah oh you like it if, if anyone's struggling or looking for something to read i thought that was really beautiful reintroduction to me for reading and and then when I gained my confidence back a little bit I I wrote a show called Armbands which did one performance at at Vault Festival they did a very small small festival where I just did one night there um but it's just been a little bit of a hiatus a little bit of surviving really to be honest and I'm not I still feel, you know, I still feel a little bit shaken by it. I don't feel like I've I think most people do. I don't. I don't think we process. I don't think we process that as a society. Like I don't think we will for a while. Like I think in two or three years' time, we might all go, "Holy shit, that that was quite like a a weird thing to happen." Like yeah. you know, I mean, even I mean, I I was lucky to sort of get a job during the pandemic and do what I do now for a living. But even that, I don't think I processed that I'd now do that because it's all happened during such a weird time and even this podcast the entire things happened during this period and it's been amazing and lovely but like again it doesn't feel like I don't feel like I process things I don't know nothing really feels real I mean I mean I think a lot of people say this it's just so discombobulated even now when things are sort of normal but they're still not really normal so whatever normal means but yeah but we're still I think you're right and it's still it's still being processed isn't it and I do what I do because my favorite thing ever really is like connecting and and being in a room and 
you know that thing have you heard that there was a study that was done where they sort of monitor everyone's heart rate when they're watching a film or watching a band and everyone's heart beats at the same time oh wow i didn't uh, yeah, know that so that's that's a that's a that's a thing that everyone if you're in a if you're in a room if you're sharing an ex or not in a room if you're at a concert or whatever and you're sharing an artistic experience you your heartbeat sync mm. up and we haven't had that experience for a really long time and that is one of the many reasons why i'm so excited for edinburgh just to sort of reintroduce humans to humans and and you know with caution and with care but to just get back to what it like what's exciting yeah now. no exactly it's what it's all about hello it's jamie here you may have heard this advert several times before but if not this is basically just me taking a minute to remind you guys that if you're enjoying the podcast, there are a number of things you can do to help us keep growing. Now, as many of you might be aware, the podcasting landscape is incredibly saturated. And I mean, there's lots of podcasts. We all love podcasts. But it's very difficult for independent podcasts like us to sometimes break through and to be noticed. So doing things like sharing us on social media, word of mouth, and just telling friends and family to listen, or even leaving us a little five-star review on places like Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts go so far in helping us to keep growing. Me and Elliot adore this podcast. We love making this podcast. So if you're able to help in any way by doing something like that, we'd be incredibly grateful, not just for our podcast, but if you love any independent podcasts, please try and give them a wee share or give them a review because it, it goes so far. Another thing you can do if you enjoy the podcast as well, and we appreciate that this is a very difficult time, but if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us, you can donate as little or as much as you like to our Patreon page, and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash justgetarealjob, or you can click the link in the show notes. Anything you can afford, we are very grateful for. Thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy the rest of today's episode. I mean, I've, I've sort of skirted around it for long enough, but let, let's talk about let's talk about the show now. Let's talk about Sticky Door. Where where can people see it? When when's it on? Like, sell it to us. We are at the Pleasance Dome. We are at Ace Dome at four p.m. from the third of August to the twenty eighth. I've got one day off. I think it's the fifteenth. The full run. The full run. The full run. The full run because she hates sleep and not feeling anxious. So I will be there for the whole <laughs> month. And yeah, four o'clock. Um, you can buy tickets now. Please do. Everybody gets a suite. And the show was inspired by. I really love Desert Island Discs. Great the, show. The radio show. I really, I really, really love it. And I have re-listened to Kirsty Young's interviews very regularly. And there was one that she did with an economist called Dame Manu Shafiq, uh, who now runs the London School of Economics. She used to be deputy head of the Bank of England. And her music choices were cracking. Anyone who has like Joni Mitchell in it, I'm fully on board with anyway. But she, Dame Manu, came up with this quote where she said she doesn't like the phrase the glass ceiling because it suggests that once somebody comes through it everybody comes through and it's open for everyone and she mm. said she didn't think that that's how progress worked she saw it as a sticky door that once you go through it closes and it sticks again and it's up to you the other side to pull it open and it's up to the person the other side to push it and it's sort of a community continual yeah. struggle and I thought that was such a beautiful it's brilliant. I've never heard that. That's really interesting. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, right. I'm glad you like it. It's also very true, I imagine, as well. Right. Yeah. I think so. Because the idea of, you know, any sort of progress of like being once you've done, once one person is on the telly, that means everyone can be on the telly. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I mean, I, I feel that in the arts. And like, I right. feel like I need to be aware of that. I mean, I think we all do to an extent, but even when you get any success, it's like I never get why people wouldn't then use their knowledge to like. Mm 
you know pull someone else up but that's Absolutely. a lot of people think that they need to close that you know the door in this metaphor and I don't know why it's oh I totally agree yeah. I, I, so when I heard that I thought that's that's the title let's sort of explore that and I, I made it with my brilliant friend and collaborator Ellen Havard and it's a comedy it is a comedy because I always sound like it's going to be an incredibly depressing hour it's it's hilarious please I hope but it's about sisterhood storytelling cystitis sex the big four <laughs> I mean that's a very I mean you, you'd clearly I, I imagine you'd had to sell the show before but I mean you're very good at very to the point great yeah. marketing slung thank there you, you go. I no I look yeah definitely I'm sure some of a lot of our listeners are based in Scotland as well so I hopefully people come see we'll link it under the podcast that would be as well and, and as I say I'll definitely be along I mean as I said this podcast has given me a massive list of shows to go and see this year I don't have to do much work this year I just have to oh that's so good show up. were you there in um, 2019 did you go like have you been regular oh I mean I've lived here for eight years so I went I've always sort of went along to stuff but I feel like I'm more in the arts than I ever have been so I, this year I will be like diving head first in hopefully this will be I've been announced by the time this podcast goes out as well but like we're taking the podcast to the French this year for free shows as well which is really exciting so oh, you know um oh that's God. that'll be cool so I mean I won't I won't give away anything yet because I need to no. still it was very last minute so I, I need to book some guests still which is all in progress just hey, now so hopefully massive congratulations fine, you know finalized soon yeah so that, that'll be good that's just for the free fringe but I don't I you know I don't care like it's a space it's a space so so incredible um, congratulations yeah, that'll be good with the way things are at the moment for no 100 that's amazing congratulations yeah but yeah no so i have some quick fire questions for you now which i'm sort of as i said to you before i'm making out a lot of this up on the spot tonight because I've, it's been such a busy week and sort of made this happen quite quickly but which is great but the first first of my quick fire questions is just about what your sort of inspirations are as a writer like who are the sort of writers that have inspired you and your work I love Victoria Wood when I was growing up I think her songwriting is just absolutely stunning and her comedy and the sadness that she weaves within it so Victoria Wood was was my when I grow up I want to be her I love Tina Fey I love the writers of well I like a lot of fast-paced sketch comedy I love Lazy Susan Michaela Cole Alana Glazer and oh my gosh what's Abby Jacobson from Broad City I think it's just such an exciting time for female writers and storytellers but absolutely absolutely top of the tree if anyone could ever say that I'm anything like Victoria would that would be you're taking <laughs> you're oh, she's, she's done she'll retire that day yeah she's over yeah, yeah yeah and another question I mean I love asking people especially writers this question but if you could have written any film or any play from history that obviously you like and it could have been yours what would it be oh my gosh okay that's so good obviously I've forgotten all things any <laughs> book or any play i would i would have written um anything by L- morgan lloyd malcolm either the wasp or amelia or mum that morgan lloyd malcolm is is the one for me right no, we're keeping it to quick fire which is very impressive a lot of guests never manage it so really i feel I'm so i'm on a you can't see maybe but i'm on like quite a wobbly rocky chair and i'm really going backwards and forth i'm like a- <laughs> freaking out oh it's all good you you managed as i said like you know when it was saying concise regards elliot's a great editor he'll be like that chopping away so it'll be all good um (laughs) and like another question i mean this is a really tough question and i mean it's a horrible question to ask a writer but do you have a favorite character you've written do you have a favorite character that i've written Mm -hmm. i think it's i think it's neil i've already mentioned already mentioned him oh like my stuff is my my stuff is sort of autobiographical so is is mostly autobiographical and so a lot of my characters are amalgamations of different people but for you know for story purposes and they're one and there are two heroes of my show Mm. and they are neil and laura and they're both 
amalgamations of some of my favorite people in the world so it's Neil and Laura great great and another question is I mean obviously I'm sure you got to put on some shows in some amazing venues but like what's the best venue you'd got to sort of perform a show in so far nice I have to say the Pleasance show or not and I shall I think getting winning a place when I did in 2019 and I got to perform at the Baby Grand in 2019 was just like not even a dream come true because I never even dreamt that I would be able to take anything to Edinburgh ever and to win a show and I had a few goals that I really wanted in 2019 if I could go to Pleasance and I wanted one newspaper to come and review it and I wanted to sell out once and I wanted 500 people over the festival to see it and I got so lucky that the Guardian came and mm. was so positive about it and that meant that well I think that and, and a lot of things going in my favour meant that we sold out 18 times and by the end of the festival 16 hundred people have seen it and so it's amazing I was, amazing. it was the most it was the most magical August I've ever had in my life <laughs> mm, that's clear well I mean you might it might be an even more magical August next one when you bring this one up for you I mean hopefully fingers crossed oh gosh, thank you. yeah that's great and just and just to say because I, I I hear this all the time on the podcast and I'm the exact same but you mentioned a lot of time oh I just kind of got lucky and it you know blah blah it's not just luck though is it you mean you worked hard and it's obviously like you've done a lot of work to it so it's, I think you need to stop it like being ah, so you're honest, so, you're I've so been so genuine because I do it all the time and I, I'm trying to call myself out for it as I well know. and it, it's it's a hard you know I think a lot of creatives are the same it's like we have to you're I have to own it as well well um, you need to you need to be able to so I've the amount of times that I've because I, I have an amazing um creative producer now uh Becky D'Souza but a lot of the uh, before Becky came on board I was trying to sell it myself sell the other shows that I've got and I used to Jamie like write emails to theatres being like hello I've got a show don't worry about it I hope you have a really lovely day and I used to send emails like that nothing about the show nothing convincing yeah. so I am trying to slowly learn to back myself a little bit more. it's not easy it's not easy it's not at easy. all I mean I, I mean I work with some pretty like well like successful writers people who are like writing you know making their own shows for telly and stuff right mm. and even they have they're they believe it or not more of them are like that than aren't and I think it just shows you that imposter syndrome is goes right to the top so I think I always say it to on the podcast to guests as well because it's like you know if our listeners I think it makes a lot of our listeners feel better because it's true and like I try and remind myself that on bad days like you know some of these top stars anyway I'm not, I'm not made this very quick fire I just realized oh, no. oh my gosh it's my fault that true. time I've, I've went on another tangent but it's, that's what podcast is for it's long-form conversation but the last of the quick fires is and I'd because you're talking about Desert and Discs, I'm not going to make you pick eight Desert and Discs because that would be cruel. But like, is there a few albums that really stick out that have inspired you that you maybe go back to all the time? Okay, A Case of You by Joni Mitchell. Uh, sorry, it's Blue, but it's Blue by Joni Mitchell. But, but that particular so. song is... Oh, yeah, I just mm. think that's that's the greatest love song ever written. But So Blue by Joni Mitchell is a must-have album. I think Heart Attack and Vine by Tom Waits. Um, anything by Nina Simone. If I can take a greatest hit, that's a bit cheeky, but I would like it. I mean, that's I, a good way of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the greatest hits of. I would like Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen. I... I'm going to like really kick myself. I remember my dad, I asked for One Christmas for the Moulin Rouge soundtrack and I didn't get it, but I got Hot Fuzz by The Killers that my dad got me. And I was sort of, I was like, no, I don't know if I'll like them. And then that started a lifelong love affair with The Killers and Nick. And I would take everything you say I am. That's not what I'm not by the Arctic Monkeys. Etta James. I'm just listing. Can you see my, I've got a very... Small but growing record collection, <laughs> which some of them are from my some of them are from my dad as well. So I've got some of my dad's Bowie records up there, and Amazing. Um, so the collection. 
Oh, put me on the spot. I mean, I, I hate, I, I'm getting a turn back of it. Some albums. Probably have Bowie's Hunky Dory, for sure. I'd probably take a Motown Great Sets again. Probably cheating, but like, it's just, you know, it's nicer than picking it on artist. Probably Helped by the Beatles. That's a quite a good one. Probably put me on the spot here. I would take Sucking Sea Bite amongst because that's the album that sort of would got you? me in. Yeah, which is a bit like I know I'm I'm, I'm such a I'm, I'm, I'm such I'm such a hipster. I'm such a hipster. <laughs> I'm trying to think what else. Probably a Rolling Stones album. I don't know which one. Maybe Let It Bleed. Maybe uh, X on the Main Street. I take one of Lord's albums because I like growing up. Lord was a big influence on me. And I, yeah, I think there we go. That'll be enough. That's me. lovely. There you go. Maybe that's I'm railing that off on the spot. That, that could that could change on any day, to be fair. But I've got a few more questions. We're sort of moving for the quick fire. I've got like three or four more questions because I know we've been speaking for like 45 minutes already, which it's been very fast, but you've been very nice to talk to. And obviously it flows, it flows naturally, which is always lovely. But just a quick question, because obviously you've been to the fringe before and the fringe is coming up. So a lot of listeners might be listening going, I'm not going to the fringe this year, but next year, maybe I'd, I'd like to take a show there. So what advice would you give to anyone wanting to put a fringe show on? I would say, uh, make sure that you are happy with your work and be happy with, I've got a really amazing piece of advice from a, um, a playwright called John Britton, who said, if you're, if you're struggling to write or create something, you should write a review as if you've reviewed the final piece that you've made. Mm. And then you write down everything that you want in it. And it was a, such a good piece of advice. I, I did it when I was writing Sexy Lamp, my second show, and I was really stuck on all of these bits. And I, I wrote this review as if I was a, you know, t- a journalist. And then it really pinpoints the stuff that you want to say with your piece and the stuff you want the audience to feel. And I think if you do that exercise and you make a show that makes you feel like that, mm. you've got something that you really care about and you'd be happy to perform every day and don't read your reviews <laughs> after after that don't read the reviews and have a team around you that you love and feel supported by and yeah. we wish you best of luck also i have a website and if people ever have any questions please i'm, I'm always answering questions on there so yeah pop a question in if you're thinking about taking a show up to edinburgh or you're thinking about creating something i would love to share whatever advice i have with with anybody who has any questions really because it can feel scary can't it and it does feel scary all the time but, yeah, hundred um, percent. for everyone in this industry. Yeah, and as you said, like, gotta you know prop that uh, sticky door open for people as well. Um, but you know that's great. And obviously, we, whenever we have a guest on the podcast, there's links to you know social medias and websites and stuff below, as well as your show. So you know, if anyone's listening, just yeah, the links are there. So you don't even have to do any work. Just scroll down from your Perfect. phone, click on them. Well, another question is, and this one of the ones I sent ahead, but like, you know, what what do you think the f- sort of three essential skills are? to sort of do what you do in the industry so to be a writer performer put on show like what are the free skills you think everyone would benefit from having or should maybe think about i think a team around you even <laughs> if that's just a group of, even if that's just a group of friends that you go i'm having a really hard day with this and they go don't worry about that let's go for a walk or let's have a pint or something like that have some people around you that you trust and that support you i would say keep engaging with things that inspire you whether that's music or going a walk or reading a book that you've always heard about but never read and just accessing as many different stories as possible and being open I guess is, is the 
if the skill may be and I think have a good bedtime routine because you're going to need it <laughs> that's a very important one at the end actually which yeah, I'm tired all the time. I know which despite people saying to me all the time it's just never ever able to be implemented but no. you can keep living hope and um no I think it's very good advice yeah, yeah very good very good skill to have yeah 100% just get a real well I'm excited to ask this because you alluded to sort of having a t- horrible part-time job at the, st- at the start of this conversation oh, yeah. and sort of writing it and being inspired by it and you're writing and stuff but so the name of the podcast is Just Get A Real Job we'd all work jobs we maybe didn't like or part-time jobs and things what's the worst part-time job or quote real job you'd ever had to work? Oh see I didn't want to when I saw this question I didn't want to miss anyone out and I have had so many <laughs> oh my god I can't wait topics. Jamie they have been thumbs down bad my first job that I had was when I was like 15, 16, and it was a, a restaurant that doesn't exist anymore. But it only employed like school children because it was cheaper. Like the, you know, the hourly wage was like four pounds or something. And the things that I liked the least about this job was that it was vile, it was underpaid. And there was the tables went round the floor as normal. So like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And then the manager um, added a new table that he would call table 69 so that he would always, with a wink and a nudge, tell you as a 15-year-old, 16-year-old to take uh, somebody to table six to 69 and then give you a little wink. So we loved that. That generally <laughs> sounds like it should be in like uh, some sleazy character in a sitcom. Like that doesn't feel like it That's could it. be real. Come and, come and see my first play, everyone. <laughs> then I worked at a, the next job I had after leaving drama school was I was spraying perfume in a big department store in London where you had to arrive unpaid half an hour early so that a grown adult would brush your hair and draw your eyebrows on um, to make yeah. you look, <laughs> to make you look very different to how you were and I had to wear um, six inch heels and stand in silence for eight hours and I worked in a restaurant where the manager regularly threw bowls of soup across the kitchen and you had to duck to avoid it I went on a t- I did a TIE job where the director told me whispered in my ear in front of his fiance that I looked really beautiful in the fairy dress I uh it's so it's it's hard listen do I do I regret anything yes all of those jobs but it has made it certainly shapes shapes your storytelling and I currently now have a very lovely part-time job working in customer service for a gorgeous swimwear company called Hunsaji so she got lucky at 31. (laughs) I always love it when guests have more than one answer to this question it's you're like yes we are getting you know again they're getting the full range of this which is great but you do actually occasionally get the odd guest who's like doesn't have an answer somehow and I'm like how they're always like oh I've had lots of my jobs they've just been lucky their jobs are all great or they're like I've never really had to work it up they've always been very lucky to just have jobs in this industry which is cool I guess oh, so it's great to get like a, a range of answers so thank you for sharing them I'm oh, sorry I had to work so I know they sound pretty horrific but <laughs> thanks so much it was yeah. worth it at least for this question and for all the inspiration you've got I feel worth um, it I feel it's worth it in so your work you. <laughs> yeah 100% well one more question for you it's, already, it's flown by but it's been an absolute pleasure and I cannot wait to come see your show in Edinburgh but I'll quickly like last question I have for you is sort of given a, a bit of advice twice now already I've sort of asked a similar question but our sort of closing question is just what advice would you give to anyone that maybe wants to become a writer or a performer or work in this sort of the arts I think if you want to be a writer or you take a notebook with you and write a little bit of something every day I don't take my own advice very much but everyone I really believe that everyone has important things to say and if you watch the telly or you are being sold something through an advert that you don't believe in and that's being forced upon you, you write the counter to that 
or write what you would do if you were given their position and tell your story at the pub across to your mate and see if it makes them laugh and if it does write it down and just believe and know that you have a story to tell and you deserve to tell it and be given the space to tell it yeah no, that's a lovely, positive way to end on this uh, Wednesday night. Before you go, I think, like, should we both open the news and see see what's happening? Oh, my God. Yeah, do you should we, we do a reveal? Imagine it. That would be great content. Oh, but I, I would be very, very goodness. surprised. I, I, I'm predicting he hasn't, but let's see. I can't imagine. The thing is, yeah. Boris Johnson, so I've got the Guardian headline. You have the Guardian. I went for BBC, so let's see if they've okay, nice. got any different angles. Johnson refusing to quit. There you go. Well, there yeah. you go. That Boris is very unsurprising. Resign. So who knows? Maybe, maybe when this goes out in a week or two, he'll be gone or he won't who knows but there you go i hope the listeners enjoyed this wild ride that they got on the political <laughs> front as well um but katie thank you very very much for your time it's much appreciated and oh, wish you the best of luck thank you so much thanks Jamie. So that's your lot for this week on Just Get A Real Job. We want to thank Katie once again for coming on the podcast this week. Fantastic conversation. If you would like to check her out, her website and tickets for her show Sticky Door, which is coming up on the Edinburgh Fringe, the links are in the show notes. So do check them out. And yes, thank you for listening this week. If you really enjoyed the podcast, you can share us on social media and tell your friends and family to listen. And if you would like to help us out, you can also donate to our Patreon page. All the links are in the show notes to help you out. And yes, that's me doing finishing the outro for this week. So yes, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to my voice and obviously the episode in general. But yes, Jamie hopefully will be back next week with another episode. I'll just get a real job. But until then, take care of yourselves and bye for now. Just get a real